No, even if you hadn't looked at the bulletin, known who I was going to be preaching about today, you might have been able to figure it out when I walked up on stage with the, with the stick, right? You think? By anybody's measure, Moses is one of the giants of the Bible. I mean, he is a, he is a true, heroic, larger-than-life figure. And even though we really don't know for sure what he looked like, most of us are pretty satisfied with this. Right? Yeah, well, see, how, see how rapidly I can go from this to this? <laughs> Moses was this great, amazing leader. He led, according to most research, somewhere between 2 and 3 million Hebrew slaves out of captivity in Egypt. He was used by God to do these, these amazing miracles. The parting of the Red Sea. I mean, come on. Fresh water out of a rock, just to name a couple. In the Bible, Moses has, is, descri- is described as a faithful one of the Lord. In another place, he's described as the faithful servant of the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend. But there's something else we need to know about Moses. He had bad days. He had his bad days. He had those times in his life when things weren't going like he wanted them to. When circumstances seemed to be against him. When what was being asked of him and what was being expected of him was overwhelming. And frightening. We're in the third week of a message series called How to Survive a Very Bad Day. And and we've established that everybody has a bad day from time to time. That we all have those days when nothing seems to work. When everything we say is wrong. Everything we do is wrong. Everything we attempt to do fails. Everything we touch breaks. And some of us, feel like our bad days way outnumber our good days. And a few of us feel like life is one long, uninterrupted, unbroken bad day. So we've turned to the pages of the Bible. And we've looked at, at, at some very real people. We've looked so far at people like Noah and Joseph, real people who really lived in history because we want to see how did they face up to their bad days? How did they handle their bad days? And, and, and what is growing more and more obvious with each person uh, whose life we take a look into is this. Don't miss this. Only God can get us through bad days. Only God can get us through bad days. Only the Lord can walk us down a road filled with disappointments and obstacles and dangers. See, the question for us is not, will I have a bad day? The question is, will I trust God? Will I obey God? And will I follow God until my bad day is turned into an amazing day? You want to know the real skinny on Moses? He wasn't so great. He 
wasn't. He wasn't very amazing. But his God was. Moses saw extraordinary things happen in his life, not because he was extraordinary, but because his God was extraordinary. Let me tell you what Moses did. He learned to be a servant. He learned to be willing to be used. And because of that, God was able to do amazing, incredible things through him. I brought this stick up here. Now I don't have anything. No. Here we go. No. We'll see. God was able to do amazing, extraordinary things through Moses. But it wasn't always that way. Moses spent a large part of his life running from his destiny, trying to, to hide from God. See, Moses' bad day was a, was a lot more like Noah's than it was Joseph's. Moses didn't really have this series of horrible circumstances happening to him over and over and over, no matter where he turned, no matter how, how faithful he attempted to be. No, what happened to Moses was something that happens to us. He was asked to do things that he did not want to do. He was asked to do things that he was afraid to do. That's the real cause of the bad day we're going to look at this morning. Moses' bad day was rooted in fear. Fear that caused him to say, God, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. You ever been there? There right now? No matter where we find ourselves, this morning I want us to see that our fears and our weaknesses can be overcome and God can use you, yes, you and me in extraordinary, amazing ways. We're going to be in Exodus chapters uh, 3 and 4. Uh, you can turn over there if you have a Bible with you. And if you don't, we've done something uh, for the very first time today um, that I can recall. And we've put the scripture in the, in the bulletin. There's a white paper in the bulletin that has uh, today's scripture on it. And uh, you can follow along there if you'd like. But let's, let's set the stage first with just a, a kind of a quick overview of Moses' life. When Moses was born... Uh, in Egypt, there were more Hebrews in Egypt than there were Egyptians. And the Egyptians were scared because they were outnumbered. And so uh, some of their politicians, some of their leaders got together, and, and they went to their ruler, the Pharaoh, and they persuaded him to give an order that whenever a male Hebrew child was born, that the midwife would kill it as soon as it was born. So the Pharaoh issued that ruling, and shortly after that, Moses' mother gave birth to him, and Obviously, she did not want him to be killed, so she, she made a basket, and, and she, she put him in the basket and hid him in the reeds, in the reeds along the bank of, banks of the Nile River. And, and the Pharaoh's daughter found him. She took him home to raise as her own son, as a prince of Egypt. And in one of God's interesting twists, I mean, it has to be a God thing, Moses' own mother is hired by Pharaoh's daughter to be his nanny to help raise him and take care of him. And that was Moses' life until he was 40 years old. 
part of the royal family. And, and being raised in the royal family meant status, and it meant privilege, and it meant wealth. It meant that he wore the finest clothes and that he, he lived in the, in, the, in the finest homes and he got a world-class education, that he was trained possibly in a, in a, a mechanical skill like architecture or engineering. Um, he was certainly trained as a soldier and as a leader. When he spoke, people listened and they did what he said. Now apparently Moses' adoption was an open one. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he, 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 he knew he was a Hebrew by birth. He spent time among his people. And the more time that he spent among his people, the more his heart began to be heavy about how he saw them being treated, mistreated, and abused, and what they, the forced labor they, they, they had to do. And, and, and one day he's out walking among his people, and he sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. And he, he gets so angry that he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. Now, he thought that, knew when, that, that no one knew what he had done. The, the Bible says that he looked around. I mean, he didn't see anybody. That's when he killed the guy. But the very next day, he's out walking among his people, and there are a couple of Hebrews in a fist fight. And Moses attempts to intervene. He says, we, we shouldn't fight with one another like this. Let's live in peace. And one of the Hebrews said, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And Moses did what any of us would do in that situation. He made for the border. He R-U-N-N-O-F-T to a region called Midian. And he became a shepherd. He, he got married there and he became a shepherd for the next 40 years of his life. A prince of Egypt tended sheep. And we've got to get our heads around that because it sets up the whole story. At the point where we pick up Moses today, he is not great. He is not extraordinary. He is an 80-year-old sheep herder on the backside of nowhere. That's got to be worse than being a Walmart greeter. It's got to be. Calvin, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. Now, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 17. And, and you can follow along if you want to, or you can read it later. Well, I'll tell you what let's do. I'm gonna, we're going to all stand and read it together out loud in unison, okay? Just kidding, but <laughs> you should have seen some of your faces. That was, that was just my little treat to myself this morning. Um, you can follow along in that paper that is there in your bulletin. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read rapidly. And um, we'll come back around to several key passages as we go along this morning. Exodus 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Beverly Hillbillies fans, that's where it came from. <clears throat> the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Then uh, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the oh man, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Chapter 4. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down, threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. That's the biggest understatement in the Old Testament right there. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Uh-huh. Um, so Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Leprosy was what it was. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. 
And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I think if Moses' conversation with God hadn't been so sad, it would be funny. I mean, for a guy who says, I can't talk, he's doing a great job offering up one excuse after another. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a, a conversation with the Lord God, the creator of everything? And he's telling you how he's going to rescue your people and how he wants you to be his representative and lead the effort. And he shows you these incredible, unbelievable miracles. And how do you respond to all that? Uh, God, you sure you got the right person? I mean, what if it doesn't happen like you say? What then? Don't you want to slap him? I do. Moses, what are you thinking? But that's the problem. That's the problem. See, when we're afraid, we stop thinking. In light of all that God is saying to him and all that God is showing him, Moses can't hear it. He can't can't see it because he's afraid and fear is keeping him from doing what God wants him to do. It happens to all of us. Fear keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. You know what we do? We're so funny. We think that life would just be so much easier if God would just tell us what to do. God, just just tell me what it is you want me to do. And the truth is, when we say that, we are lying in our teeth. We don't want God to tell us what He wants us to do. We want Him to tell us to do what we want to do. It's true. Because if God tells us to do something that's different from what we want to do, we start doing exactly what Moses did. We start questioning. God, you don't really mean me, do you? I mean, that really doesn't apply to my situation, does it? Have you completely thought through what you're talking about here? I tell you what, I've got a few minutes. Let me take a look at your plan. 
I, I maybe I'll be able to come up with some alternatives that will work better for me. We do that in our relationship. We know the Bible teaches that, that marriage is a commitment that's made for life. But you let marriage hit a, hit a rocky spot, hit a rough spot, and we start thinking, Lord, if I follow you on this one, um, I'm afraid I won't be happy. And you want me to be happy, don't you, God? Or maybe we're single and we're involved in a physical relationship outside the covenant of marriage. And we know the Bible plainly teaches that that's wrong. But God, that, that's just the way the world works today. This is what everybody does. And God, I'm afraid if I obey you on this one, they'll break up with me. And I won't find anybody else. Or maybe it's our job. God, if I work ethically, if, if I work honestly, they'll think I'm soft. They'll think I'm a pushover. And I'm afraid if I do that, I, I won't get promoted. I might even lose my job. Lord, if I try to raise my kids according to your word, I'm afraid they'll think I'm too strict. They'll think I'm not cool. They, they won't want to be my friend. I don't want to chase a rabbit too far here, but you've got some choices. You can be a parent or you can be a friend. You cannot be both. Did you, did you see the paper in the last couple of weeks where they excerpted from the interview that Billy Ray Cyrus did with that magazine. He said he, he, he lost his family because he tried to be a pal instead of a parent. Lord, if I start managing my money like you tell me to in the New Testament. I mean, if I'd become a, a good steward, a good manager of what you've blessed me with, and, and I start giving with a, with a generous, cheerful heart, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won't have enough money to pay my bills. And what's worse, I'm afraid I won't have enough money to buy whatever it is I want to buy. That kind of fear can make for a lot of bad days. Fear keeps us from following God. So how do we overcome that? How do we move from fear to faith? God gave Moses some very practical guidance. Guidance that helped him face his fears and, and obey the Lord so that he could be used in great, amazing, extraordinary ways. Practical guidance that we can learn if we will. Here's the first thing. We need to focus on God's presence with us. Focus on God's presence with us. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we said the big question in a, in a bad day is this. How would anyone in my bad day act? What would they do? How would they behave if they what? Totally believed that God was with them. That's the question. We got, we got to focus on God's presence with us. Look again. 
at Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, you must have made a mistake. You got the wrong guy. I'm nobody. I'm an 80-year-old shepherd. And remember 40 years ago when I attempted to help my people? They rejected me. You know, verse 11 is the first of five times in this passage of Scripture that we read the words, but Moses. Every time God said something, there was a but Moses. But Moses protested. But Moses protested. But Moses pleaded. But Moses begged. But Moses disagreed. But Moses doubted. But Moses questioned. You know what he was doing? He was focusing on himself. He was focusing on who he was and and what he could do. But in verse 12, it says, God answered him, I will be with you. I will be with you. And if Moses is like us, he probably thought, well, sure, of course you are. Now, how's that going to help me exactly? Listen to the familiar words of King David facing the possibility of death. It's in Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. The presence of the Lord brings comfort in the face of our fears. We're not alone. How many times do we just want somebody to be near? We don't necessarily want them to solve our problem. Sometimes we don't even really want to talk. We just don't want to be alone. God says, you're not alone. We don't face what we're facing alone. God guides. God provides. He he protects. He comforts. And not only does He give us comfort, His presence gives us courage. Moses obviously went on from this meeting with God this meeting at, that, at the burning bush with that perspective, with the understanding that God's presence gives us courage to face the things we have to face in life. Because near the end of his life, Moses will speak these words in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That doesn't mean Moses was never afraid again after the burning bush. He still had some bad days coming. Having faith and experiencing God's presence does not mean that we're never again fearful. It means that His presence helps us not to be incapacitated by that fear. Moses took comfort, found courage in God's presence with him. And he he overcame his fear and, and, and that produced amazing, extraordinary results. 
in his life, and it can in ours if we will focus on God's presence with us. And secondly, if we will submit to his power through us. Look at Exodus 3.13. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God, if I, if I show up there and I say, God has sent me, they're going to go, who? And then what do I say? What is Moses afraid of here? He's afraid of what other people might think. He's afraid of what other people might think of him. He's afraid of looking strange or foolish or out of step when they don't believe him. And God is so amazing. God says, you tell him. I am has sent me. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the capital T-H-E, God, has sent me. And he's here to rescue you. And then go to Pharaoh. And you tell him the God of the Hebrews says you have to let them go. And not only will he let you go, he will give you the wealth of the nation to take with you. Wow. And Moses was, was so fired up at those promises that he hightailed it into Egypt. And he marched right into... No, wait a minute. That's not what happened. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? I can, can you hear the whine? I can hear the whine by this time. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you, 80-year-old shepherd? And I think God kind of heaves a sigh. All right. Here we go. Throw the stick down. Now it's a snake. Pick up the snake. Now it's a stick. Put your hand in your coat. Take it out. You got leprosy. Put it back. Take it out. It's gone. They'll believe that. That should convince them, God says. But if, they, if that doesn't convince them, get some water from the Nile River and pour it on the ground and it'll turn to blood. Now, again, I don't want to chase a rabbit too far down a trail here, but I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ right here. He has power over nature, over created things. He has the ability to heal. And if that doesn't convince you, there's always the blood. Hey, folks, Jesus is on every page of this book. He's everywhere. But here's what I want us to see. And if I, if I was a write things down person, I'd write this down. 
God doesn't recruit us to do mighty things for Him. He calls us to allow Him to do mighty things through us. God doesn't recruit us to do mighty things for Him. He calls us to allow Him to do mighty things through us. Moses thought it was all about him. It was all about his abilities and what he could do. It was about his cleverness. It was about his knowledge. When what he needed to do was submit to God's power to work through him. Folks, it, it's time for us to start to, to, to stop letting the fear of failure. It's time for us to stop letting the fear of other people, what they will think. It's even time for us to stop letting the fear of death keep us from being used to do what God wants to do through us. God may want some of us, He may want some people in this room to take on the ministry of helping restore marriages, save marriages for people. He may want us to, to take on the ministry of rescuing people from addiction. He may want some of us here to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor. He may want some of us here to go all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are far from God. And I'm going to tell you something. If we think we're going to do it because we took a course or because we had some experiences, or because we really, really want to, we're going to fail. But if we will trust God and submit to His power working through us, well, Moses just rescued three million people. Not because he was great, but because God was at work in him and through him. There is nothing we can't accomplish. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I'm going to build a church. That's me and that's you. And the very gates of hell will not be able to stop its progress. That's us. When we submit to God's power at work in us. When Moses understood whose power was at work in him, millions of lives were saved. The course of history was altered. The eternal destiny of untold billions was changed because he submitted to God's work through him. And there's one final thing Moses needed to learn and we need to learn. If we're going to see our bad days turn into extraordinary days. We need to depend on God's provision for us. Depend on God's provision for us. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I, I get tongue-tied and my, 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 my words get tangled. Lord, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do it. I don't have the goods. I can't talk. I can't lead. 
I'm afraid. And, and God says, not only will I be present with you, not only will I work my power through you, but I will also provide for you. I will help you speak. I will give you the words to say. In verse 13, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please catch the desperation here. Send anyone else. Anyone else. God, not me. Just go grab the next Jim Bob that comes around the corner. Send to him anybody but me. And verse 14 sends shivers down my spine. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. Well, it's about time. I'm going to tell you something. I do not want my name put in the place of Moses' name in that sentence. Do you? I mean, in the space of three minutes, God has given him leprosy, turned a stick into a snake, you know, Satan's hand puppet, old no shoulders. And he's turned water into blood. I don't want to make him angry. But I want to make sure we see this. Make sure you get this. Even though Moses is weak in his faith, he's fearful, he's doubtful, and even though that angers the Lord, God still has mercy and compassion on him. All right then, take your brother Aaron with you. You be God for him. Whisper in his ear the things I've told you, and he can speak to the people. Can I just tell you, I love that about God. I could serve a God like that, couldn't you? Yeah, I don't always trust him. And yes, sometimes I outright doubt him. And I look for loopholes to get out of what I know He wants me. And I look 